Uh, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we are on the Srimad Bhagavatam. And let's, let me just get it here. So we are on Canto 5. I know that much. Got to get the canto right. And chapter 7. And we're beginning with verse 13. Is that correct? It's so chapter 6. Chapter Chapter 6, verse 13. 13. We're going up to verse 16 um, and commenting on that. Okay. Hare Krishna. Learned scholars chant about the transcendental qualities of Lord Rishabhdev in this way. Oh, this earthly planet contains seven seas and many islands and lands, of which Bharatvarsh is considered the most pious. People of Bharatvarsh are accustomed to glorifying the activities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his incarnations as Lord Vishabhade and others. All these activities are very auspicious for the welfare of humanity. Oh, what shall we? I say about the di- dynasty, or sometimes I say dynasty, of Priyavrata, which is pure and very much celebrated. In that dynasty, the Supreme Person, the original personality of God, had descended as an incarnation and executed religious principles that could free one from the results of fruitive activity. Text 15. Who is that mystic yogi who can follow the examples of Lord Vishabdev, even with his mind? Lord Vishabdev rejected all kinds of yogic perfection, which other yogis hanker to attain. Who is that yogi who, has, who can compare to Lord Vishabdev? And we'll talk a little bit about this first. Sukadev Goswami continued, Lord Vishabdev is the master of all Vedic knowledge, human beings, demigods, cows, and prominence. I have already explained his pure transcendental activities, which will vanquish the sinful activities of all living entities. This narration of Lord Vishabdev's pastimes is the reservoir of all auspicious things. Whoever attentively hears or speaks of them, following in the footsteps of the Acharyas, will certainly attain unalloyed devotional service at the lotus feet of Lord Vasudev, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And Prabhupada writes that the pastimes of the Supreme Personality of God and his devotees are recorded in Srimad Bhagavatam so that those who recite these pastimes and listen to them will become purified. Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. As a matter of principle, devotees should read, speak, and hear Srimad Bhagavatam persistently 24 hours daily if possible. So we have to work on that. That is recommended by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Kirtaniya Sadahari. One should either chant the Hare Krishna Mahamantra or read Srimad Bhagavatam and thereby try to understand the characteristics and instructions of the Supreme Lord who appeared as Lord Vishabdev, Lord Kapila, and Lord Krishna. So, I was thinking, when I read this, I was thinking of the eighth verse of the nectar of instruction. Prabhupada writes that, not Prabhupada writes, Rupa Goswami writes, Prabhupada translates, that the essence of all advice is that one should utilize one's full time, 24 hours a day, in nicely chanting and remembering the Lord's divine name, transcendental form, qualities, and eternal pastimes, thereby gradually engaging one's tongue and mind. In this way, one should reside in Braja, 
and serve Krishna under the guidance of devotees. One should follow in the footsteps of the Lord's beloved devotees who are deeply attached to his devotional service. And in the purport, Prabhupada says that this process of transmigration is very subtle. Therefore, Srila Rupa Goswami advises devotees to train their minds in order that they will be unable to remember anything other than Krishna. Mm. So this is a work in progress for most of us to have a taste for hearing and chanting. When one, we, we, Rasa Vaisaha, we are enjoyers by nature. And so we spend our 24 hours uh, looking, you know, as much, or waking hours at least, often in activities that we think or we find enjoyable. So when we find Krishna consciousness more enjoyable than anything else, then we will spend more and more time in Krishna consciousness. It's, in one sense, it's as simple as that. Although in the present time, when we don't have that taste yet, but we understand it intellectually, then we still, um, maybe with, I wouldn't say force, but vaidi means following rules because they are given by the guru and Krishna. And raganuga means that there's some rag, there's some taste, there's some desire. So as we're, so it's not an either or, it's a spectrum. We want to uh, develop more tastes so that we're more and more inclined to follow this instruction of the essence of all advice, that we should use our full time in nicely chanting and remembering Krishna's name, form, qualities, and passages. Some thoughts on that? Okay. Then we will continue. Also, I was thinking that this is also Prabhupada's... Uh, he, there's so many reasons to distribute books, uh, but one of them was that, and we see this in many of Prabhupada's letters, that he just thought that then the devotees would be glorifying Krishna all day long by talking about Krishna when they are giving someone else a, a one, of Prabhupada, one of Prabhupada's writings. And that, I think, has become more prevalent in, in recent years in the old days of book distribution, when I did it in the 70s, we didn't always talk about Krishna that much when we were distributing books. But now it's become a much more of a uh, uh, appropriate, or well, let's say more in line with the Prabhupada's hope was that those who were distributing books, they were talking about the books all the time. And, and of course, what's the best way to be inspired to give someone else a book is to ourselves appreciate the content. So much so that Prabhupada was critical of devotees who distributed but didn't read them themselves. And he even, uh, yeah, he was critical of them. Yes. Okay. Uh, any further thoughts on this point? Um, yes. You know, about distributing books, um, I'd been thinking since last week when a devotee was saying how they worried that the books were hot in the trunk of the car. And um, so I was, and I'd come to the wondering, so when you were distributing books, would you worry about what someone would do with that book, like put it in a bad place or not treat it well or something? What, did, what, what was your thought back then? What did you think back then? Well, I, um, it was a problem because our, some of our techniques were not so wholesome. When people found out what they had in their hands, they would often end up in garbage cans, the, the books. And even there's times when devotees would go through the airports and go through the garbage cans and find Srimad Bhagavatam's there. 
I don't think that's, that's the case so much anymore. But you never know. Uh, Radhana Swami tells this amazing story. I won't, I won't get into it. it Cause the way he tells it, it's like a 20 minute story, but he tells this amazing story about a devotee in, in Alabama or someplace like that in Mississippi. And he was in a laundromat doing his laundry and he was eating a watermelon and somehow the watermelon slipped out of his hand and fell into the garbage next to him. And he wasn't a very suchi person. So he was reaching back into the garbage to pick up his watermelon. And instead he, there was a Bhagavatam there and he grabbed the Bhagavatam and he read the Bhagavatam and he became a devotee. <laughs> that's, that's the, the short end of it. Uh, it's a whole long story about how he ultimately moved to New Vrindavan and et cetera. But so you can't worry too much about that because ultimately we, we give the books and then what people do with them is, is up to them. But if we're straightforward in our dealings with people, and honest, then there's, you know, a greater likelihood that they will treat the book with respect. And of course, devotees often when they're, uh, Divya, Divya who can speak more to this, but when they're, uh, I've asked, I've been doing this a few times, going to people's homes and you install them, kind of the, the book in their house, because mainly Indian people, but not only, uh, and a lot of, a lot of people. And then of course, there's such a idea that Krishna has appeared in the form of the Bhagavatam. Is that all right, Henry? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, Good. And then you have devotees like Henry. I remember when he was moving from one house to the next, he had like three or four sets of Bhagavatams. Because he, when devotees would sell him, oh, he'll, okay, I'll buy another set. I'll buy another set. <laughs> okay, let's uh, continue then. So now we are reading through this chapter. I don't think there was any other that we're studying in this chapter, and we're going on to verse number six in chapter seven. Okay. So text 17. Devotees always bathe themselves in devotional service in order to be relieved. Isn't that a nice analogy? We bathe ourselves in bhakti in order to be relieved from the various tribulations of material existence. So that's one uh, characteristic of bhakti. We study this in the nectar of devotion. Kleshagni, that it, it, it takes away distress. <clears throat> But it's not the ultimate goal, right? The ultimate goal is love. But by doing this, the devotees enjoy supreme bliss and liberation personified comes to serve them. Nonetheless, they do not accept that service, even if it is offered by the supreme personality of God himself. For the devotees, liberation, mukti, is very unimportant because having attained the Lord's transcendental loving service, they have attained everything desirable and have transcended all material desires. So we may sometimes take to devotional service to get free from material desires. Chatur vidha bhajante mam janasukriti norjuna artoja gyasa artarti ganicha bharatarsabha. That four kinds of people take shelter of Krishna. One, one is the distress, another the desire of wealth. So that may be our motivation in the beginning, but it often becomes purified as we make it. It does become purified as we make advancement, and ultimately we don't want any, it's not, we tell Krishna, look, this is not a business deal. I serve you unconditionally. And at the same time, we have to be careful not to imitate that stage, like uh, Burijan Prabhu once said to Prabhupada, we just want to come here life after life to serve you. In other words, we don't want liberation, we just want to serve you. And Prabhupada said to him, don't make me come back to save you. <laughs> 
says. There's a balance there. Sukadev Goswami continued, My dear king, the supreme person, Mukunda, is actually the maintainer of all members of the Pandava and Yadu dynasties. Now, of course, he's speaking to Prichit Maharaj, who belongs to one of those dynasties, right? He is your spiritual master, worshipful deity, friend, and the director of your activities. To say nothing of this, he sometimes serves your family, there, there's the point, as a messenger or servant. This means he worked just as ordinary servants do. Those engaged in giving the Lord's favor attain liberation from the Lord very easily, but he does not very easily give the opportunity to render direct service to him. So this is also one of the six characteristics of bhakti that's mentioned in the Nectar of Devotion, a sudurlava, that, that pure devotional service is rare. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Vishabdev, was fully aware of his true identity. Therefore, he was self-sufficient, and he did not desire external gratification. There was no need for him to aspire for success, since he was complete in himself. Those who unnecessarily engage in bodily conceptions and create an atmosphere of materialism are always ignorant of their real true interest. Out of his causeless mercy, Lord Bishop David taught the self's real identity and the goal of life. We therefore offer our respectful obeisances unto the Lord who appeared as Lord Bishop Jai, Lord Bishop Ki. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the fifth canto, sixth chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled The Activities of Lord Vishabdi. Now, the activities of King Bharat. Sukadeva Goswami continued speaking to Maharaj Prichit, My dear King, Bharat Maharaj was a topmost devotee. Following the orders of his father, who had already decided to install him on the throne, he began to rule the earth accordingly. When Bharat Maharaj ruled the entire globe, he followed the orders of his father and married Panchajani, the daughter of Vishwarupa. Just as the false ego creates the, excuse me, the subtle sense objects, Maharaj Bharata created five sons in the womb of Panchajani, his wife. These sons were named Sumati, uh, Rastrabrit, Sudarshana, uh, Avavana, and Dharmaketu. Formerly, this planet was known as Ajanhabi Varsha, but since Maharaj Bharata's reign, it has become known as Bharat Varsha. Maharaj Bharat was a very learned and experienced king on this earth. He perfectly ruled the citizens, being himself engaged in his own respective duties. Maharaj Bharata was as affectionate to the citizens as his father and grandfather had been. Keeping them engaged in their occupational duties, he ruled the earth. With great faith, King Bharata performed various kinds of sacrifice. He performed the sacrifice known as Agnihotra, Darsha, Purnamasa, uh, Purnamasa Chaturmasya, Pasudyagya, where a horse is sacrificed, and Somayagna, where in a kind of beverage is offered. Sometimes these sacrifices were performed completely and sometimes partially. In any case, <clears throat> to the, all, in all the sacrifices, the regulations of Chaturhotra were strictly followed. In this way, Bharata Maharaj worshipped the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And now text 6, which is actually a very, very important verse. Before I do that, I just wanted to give a little 
interesting background that I was thinking about. When you think about it, the, the fifth canto, because soon we're going to hear about Bharat Maharaj renouncing the kingdom, right? So in, in this fifth canto, that we've talked, we've heard about three kings who were renounced. We heard about Priyavrata, we heard, we heard about Maharaj Rishabdev, and, and Bharat. And then we also heard about Maharaj Agnidra, who wasn't so renounced. He renounced his kingdom like the other three, but for very different reasons. So I think it's just interesting to analyze them a little bit. So, so the lessons we learn from each of these four are, are different, right? From Agnidra's renunciation. So he was awarded a wife in the heavenly planets. And in his next life, uh, and he got a celestial birth in his next life uh, after he performed austerities because he wanted to rejoin his, his wife who had already returned to the heavenly abode, right? And Priyavrata, <clears throat> he acted properly, he renounced the world, and then returned to it to please the Supreme Lord and serve as king, right? That's what happened. And then Rishabdev, he was like an avaduta, and he instructed his 100 sons on detachment and the purpose of life. And then Bharat, Rishabdev's, you know, his foremost uh, son, we're going to hear in the, in the soon, that he renounced the kingdom, but then he again became attached to a material thing, in this case, a fawn. And he was then forced to take two subsequent verses, uh, births as, uh, as a, as a deer and then as Jadabharata. So it's, it's, it, we, there's these four kings and you can learn there's some Krishna conscious lessons in each of those four kings. Before we go on to this very important verse, any, any thoughts on that? There's so many lessons in this fifth canto, actually. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Vagananda Prabhu. Um, in the purport to text 5, uh, I like the purport a lot because uh, um, Prabhupada is quoting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings on how these different uh, sacrifices are not uh, to be uh, practiced in uh, the Kali Yuga. And then... Uh, just the uh, even when it was done in the previous ages what was how it was done and it was not basically the animal was killed but basically the animal was revived in a much youthful form or given a better form of life something like that and for Kali Yuga Sankirtan Yagya is the the best process and the recommended process as well thank you <laughs> and now but so thank you that's a great lead-in to the next verse, because the next verse is showing us <coughs> the proper way that one can do demigod worship. Okay, and uh, and this is an important. It, well, you know, it's important often because sometimes we are meeting people who are really into demigod worship, right? And so they 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 could just exclusively worship Krishna, or at least learn from Bharat Maharaj how it's done properly. So this is key verse actually. After performing the preliminaries of various sacrifices, Maharaja Bharata offered the results in the name of religion to the, excuse me, to the Supreme Personality of God at Vasudev. In other words, he performed all the yagnas for the satisfaction of Lord Vasudev Krishna. Maharaja Bharata thought that since the demigods were different parts of Vasudev's body, he controls those who are explained in the Vedic mantras. 
So you see, he, so, so he saw the bigger picture. So when it comes up to a Vedic mantra of a specific demigod, he's looking at who's the source of the demigod. Most people aren't doing that, right? They're, they're focusing on the particular demigod and usually for some material reason. By thinking in this way, Maharaja Bharata was freed from all material contamination, such as attachment, lust, and greed. When the priests were about to offer the sacrificial ingredients into the fire, Maharaja Bharata expertly understood how the offering made to different demigods was simply an offering to the different limbs of the Lord. For instance, Indra is the arm of the Supreme Personality of God, and Surja is his eye. Thus, Maharaja Bharata considered that the oblations offered to different demigods were actually offered unto the different limbs of Lord Vasudev. And Prabhupada writes in the long first paragraph, a little down near the Shristi when one offers sacrifices to different demigods, one should remember that the demigods are simply parts of the body of the Supreme. If we worship the hand of a person, we intend to satisfy the person himself. If we massage the person's legs, we do not really serve the legs, but the person who possesses the legs. That's such a nice example, isn't it? So obvious. All the demigods are different parts of the Lord, and if we offer service to them, we actually serve the Lord himself. Demigod worship is mentioned in the Brahma Sangita, but actually the shlokas advocate the worship of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then a little later, we should worship the demigods in that spirit. Because the goddess Durga satisfies Krishna, we should therefore offer respects to goddess Durga. Because Lord Shiva is nothing but Krishna's functional body, we should therefore offer respects to Lord Shiva. Similarly, we offer respects to Brahma, Agni, and Surya. There are many offerings to different demigods, and one should always remember that these offerings are usually meant to satisfy the Supreme Personality of God. And Bharat Maharaj did not aspire to receive some benediction from demigods. His aim was to please the Supreme Lord. So this is actually a very important point. <laughs> And there's so much that can be said about this. Because sacrifices generally, they're born of piety or desire for material pleasure. But Bharat Maharaj, as we read, right, he, he didn't see it like that. He just wanted to satisfy Vasudev Krishna. <clears throat> and because of that mindset, he was, he was freed of material desires by doing these sacrifices instead of increase, sometimes increasing them. And I was thinking you know, earlier in the Bhagavatam, in the third canto, sixth chapter, there it describes the demigods, they're situated on the Lord's universal form. So it says, Maitreya said, My, uh, you may now hear from me how the Lord, Supreme Lord separated himself into the diverse forms of the demigods after the manifestation of the gigantic universal form. Agni, or heat, separated from his mouth, and all the directors of material affairs entered into it in their respective positions. By that energy, the living entity expresses himself in words. So if this is confirmed earlier on in the Bhagavatam, the relationship between the demigods and the universal form, and ultimately demigods and the Lord himself. Okay. Thoughts on that? Um. It, it, it reminded me of Mantra 12 from Ishopanishad where Asambhutim and Sambhutim is discussed by Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. 
Sambhuti means one who doesn't have independent existence, and Sambhuti means one who has independent existence. And the Supreme Lord is the only one who has independent existence. Everybody else has a dependent existence on the Supreme Lord, yeah. and they are. Th- and as Prabhupada is explaining in this purport, the demigods are the parts and parcels of the Supreme Lord, and they, are, in one sense, they are the representatives of the Supreme Lord, and worshiping them or glorifying them or respecting them in that way is the proper way of honoring God. But to think that these demigods are some independent, powerful personalities and uh, yeah, you like this personality, I like this personality, but each of them are independently powerful. That is the conception that is condemned. Yes. Yes. And it's the, for example, Prabhupada found Panchopasanam, the worship of the five demigods to, well, it includes Vishnu, right? Um, But the ultimate goal, and that's, and then, so it's interesting how sometimes demigod worship can also be connected with personalism or mayavad um, because ultimately you, you relinquish all of the, the sadgun brahman and get to nirgun brahman. And, and I'm now quoting mayavad philosophy. Not, don't take it up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Other thoughts? Um, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Um, Hare Krishna. <laughs> Prabhu, I was thinking that um, when we were, when I was growing up in India, it's, this fact is not very much known uh, because when I started going all about demi worship, it was yes, Krishna was there in, on the altar, but I never thought that Krishna is the source of all these demigods. Right. And um, so when I read Bhagavad Gita, it was like an eye opener. Like, okay, yeah, Krishna is the source. So. You're breaking up a little, Divya Nanprabhu. Maybe if you turn your video off, it would be a little faster. <laughs> okay. So I was thinking that... That's better. Is, is, is it better, better, Prabhu? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I was thinking that a lot of times we, we meet people and they don't... They do demigod worship. I know they're, they're not doing the right thing, but they don't... They're innocent in some ways because they don't know mm-hmm. that Krishna is the source and they haven't really read these scriptures uh, in a way, so yeah, just going back to the point that we are thankful to Srila Prabhupada. Yeah. Give us these books and knowledge to understand that. And, and I don't know what your uh, devotees on this call, what uh, your experience is. My experience preaching in India was how to kind of spoon feed people a bit because, you know, we, especially if our childhood was kind of pious, we have some attachment to what we learned in our childhood. And so to have people enter a new conception, sometimes they can do it overnight, and sometimes it takes a little spoon feeding and gradually getting them to come to the idea, Ekala Ishwara Krishna Arsabhritya, Chaitanya Charitamrita, that Krishna is the one source of everything. Because it is, as you're saying, Divya Anandrabhu, it's so prevalent. And people don't, they, they even can read, I mean, there's commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita that can even support such misunderstanding. Um, yeah, I wonder what, what in the commentary for other Bhagavad Gitas, is there, like there are so many Bhagavad Gitas out there, as Srila Prabhupada said, like what's, 
what yeah. knowledge is the other bhagavad gita giving them that still they are not able to get it yeah i don't know how they get around like upameda sa right in the which chapter is that, that chapter 4 or that that someone who worships the demigods has little intelligence yes, mahamantra yes. you were going to say something um uh i encountered this a lot uh, with uh, krishna and uh, narayan prabhu mm uh it's very difficult uh, so which is at least okay than the demigods uh from i mean when talking to indians uh, so it's very difficult to say krishna is the source of everything and everyone <laughs> but nice some people will take it and uh, some people argue but like divyan prabhu was saying the all my childhood all the rituals i attended in temples and in functions and everything propat says it's asat because it was neither the priest knows that it, it is meant for the you know satisfaction of vishnu nor the performers so i feel like it was completely waste thing you know like it's just a for performance for the sake of performance but no true understanding there that's Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder do we really need to um convert people who worship Narayan? I mean, okay, no. so they go to Vaikuntha, they may not go to Goloka, but it yeah. uh I guess that's all sort of thing, huh? Especially if you're from okay. South India. Yeah, I just heard uh, in one of uh, like recent lectures uh, from His Holiness Rompad Maharaj somebody asked, I am attached to forearm form. so mara said that's fine like whatever is natural it is natural for you yeah that and of course that's very different than worshiping demigods worshiping lord narayan yeah prabhu ji yes um actually in the rural area in indian subcontinent there is a very few the spiritual master to give initiate to the lord krishna or superficial godhead lord krishna so that's why this demigod they are worshiping and if you want to go in there initiate them initially they do not accept it you know because the local who were given to them uh, 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 as a priest who are getting uh, doing to the puja they are initiate to the rural area and they don't want to involve the lord krishna consciousness there the issue is the main in many where i born and the story actually you know the rural yeah so you have your mission in life to become a great devotee and go initiate everyone in those villages <laughs> we try <laughs> very good andy you want to say something yeah uh, just quickly cuz i don't know what i'm talking about but in my studies <clears throat> we have to recognize very clearly that this vaishnavism is a is an emergent philosophy that uh if you go back to the original vedas like the rigveda there's much more praise and songs to agni than anything else so and it took time for for the to emerge that krishna was under there and was a real cause of this all along it took time so that's a very root deep root of of hindu philosophy all these demigods and everything and so it's not surprising that it's rooted very deep in the culture Well there's various reasons and there's a whole we could get into a whole discussion uh 
it's not necessarily that in our line we exactly follow the timeline that was offered, that's offered often about, you know, the Rig Vedas being original. In the one sense, the Bhagavatam is eternal, and it exists on yeah. different planets in different um, uh, sizes, even. But we, we, won't, we could have, we should have a whole class sometime on yeah. the whole, all the Vedic literature, the, the, the uh, original Vedas, the, uh, the Upanishads, the, you know, the Pramanas, the Sankhitas, all that. that, that's, that, that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But yes, you're, it's, it's, um, there's different things going on. So there's what you're, what you're exposed to and also what your desires are, right? You, you come in contact with a certain, Philosophy or way of life often based on our purva samskars and our, 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 where we're coming from in previous lives. And then comes Prabhupada, you know, you could say, and I don't, you know, out of nowhere, and I don't mean out of nowhere, of course, out of Krishna Loka, and then just giving us this, wow, uh, ultimately we worship a, uh, butter thief. Now that's hard for a worshiper of Narayan to always accept. <laughs> and we also see in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, especially a couple of examples of followers of Lord Ramachandra, who could not, even though they were so attracted to Lord Chaitanya, they could not give up their identity as a Ram Bhakta, like uh, Murari Gupta. And there's one other example I can't remember. <clears throat> so. Yeah, so thank you for that, Andy. I think what you've said is something that I, I think we should have a whole talk on sometime. Appreciate that. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes. So, going to like, Hare Krishna. So, also sometimes when you talk about incarnations of the Lord, like Lord Buddha, in the Eastern countries, especially in Thailand, we see that everyone's worshipping Lord Buddha and really with awe and reverence and Yet at the same time, not really taking to the philosophy. So it turns into sentimentalism. Yeah. Because there's no, not proper philosophy and they're still engaged in meat eating and killing animals and so forth. And, uh, trying, and when they discover that Lord Buddha was an incarnation of Krishna, even that creates a lot of turmoil in their, you know, like, oh. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't go over well. <laughs> yes, yes. So what right. to talk about demigods, you know? Lord's own uh, appearance in different yugas for different purposes. And when we talk about the different purposes, seems to now that our daughter-in-law, she is from China. So she's trying to understand and, you know, get into that philosophy aspects. And we kind of like have good conversations around those topics. I've heard talk to Nandi Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it does show a lot of things, just like we studied last week in, with Jainism, how things how faiths sometimes take twists and turns. So it's very interesting that Buddhism is by sometimes some parts of Buddhism by definition are not impersonal, they're voidist. And yet we find places where there's almost bhakti towards Lord Buddha in some parts of the world. So, so this is where it's, we're, we're so fortunate also to have, we've talked about this off and on over the years, Rupa Goswami's teachings on Yabi Lashita Sunyam Gana Karma Navritam Anukuyena Krishna Rupa Silam 
you know what I mean, Fakti Uttam, that he separates out the strands of karma, jnan, and bhakti. And those strands, once they're understood, can be applied to any faith. That there's sometimes strands of karma in some religions, sometimes strands of jnan, sometimes strands of bhakti, and often some kind of kitri, where they're all kind of mixed together. And we can also have a kitri in our heart, and Rupa Goswami is teaching us how to separate those and only have the pure desire for bhakti and leave aside the coverings of karma and gan. Right? And Andy says, uh, if you read the Wikipedia article on Agni, it is a very impersonal article. Anybody reading that would have a non-Krishna-centric impression, certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> also with respect to Buddha like there are multiple Buddhas and not every one of them is an incarnation of the Supreme Lord Prabhupada makes that clear in his, some of his purports that one Buddha was the incarnation but there are multiple Buddhas so we do not know when people say Buddhism and mm-hmm. they could be following so many different Buddhas and it might not necessarily be the incarnation of the Supreme Lord yeah, there are different things. And maybe, uh, maybe Gurudas knows more about this because, uh, Satsurup Maharaj many years ago did some research on the different, uh, Buddhas. But I don't know, um, you, you, do you have that at your fingertips or do you remember that Gurudas Prabhu? No? You can ask him about it maybe because I remember he did that research a long time. I, I, he, at least two different kinds. And, and then there's Mahayan and Hinayan Buddhism and, yeah. I'm not an expert on it. But according to Prabhupada, he was part of the plan, right, to stop uh, the merciless killing of animals in the name of Vedic, in the name of Vedic traditions. Gurudash, Gurudash, you're muted. I don't seem to be able to unmute. No, you're clear as day now. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, as, as as I recall in my reading of my Guru Raj's writings, uh, they did that exploration and there was uh, a great disappointment to find <laughs> that the Buddha uh, uh, celebrated in Eastern religion was not actually the Buddha that's mentioned in the Vedas. Uh, that was that was the prime discovery of that uh, research. Of that research. Uh, I wanted uh, uh, this whole discussion has has uh, created in my mind the um, the incredible influence that we Westerners have been exposed to uh, by going to school and having required readings of very prominent uh, atheists writers who uh, point towards the divine but actually uh, are more nihilistic at the same time. Um, I don't know if that's making any sense, but uh, I was... only, Only after you're familiar with devotional service for some time are you even aware Right. I'm reading this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. 
I'm done anytime you say I'm done. No, 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 not at all. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, but uh, that's that's you know that that makes one want to cling all the more to to bhakti and to the uh, nervousatious sanyavadi part of Prabhupada's pranam that he really did save us from that very, very strong uh, influence of pseudo, pseudo religion. Mm. But, uh, it's like covered, covered atheism. I'm sorry if I took, took the discussion off the track. No, no, no problem. Prabhupada once said, uh, I have never said anything bad about Lord Buddha. I always call him Lord Buddha, Prabhupada said. But the Buddhists say there is no soul and God is never mentioned in Buddhist writings. Yeah. So let's continue then. Uh, but this is an important point, you know, so I'm glad we spent a little time on it, that demigod worship, while condemned in terms of practicing pure bhakti, is can be done appropriately as, uh, as Bharat Maharaj is showing us. And so this might be, I, I can't say because it's been, uh, it's been 10 years since I lived in India, um, and I, I, I was thinking maybe it's a way to uh, for people who are attached to demigod worship to help them gradually take the Krishna consciousness. I can't say. I don't know if anyone's had experience of trying to show them this kind of uh, passage in the Bhagavatam and, and explain it to them, because it, in one sense, they don't have to give anything up. They just have to add the correct understanding. <clears throat> But yena kena pakarina manasa krishna nevesha. Somehow or other attract people to think of Krishna. So this might be one way. Let us continue then. We're going up to... Oh, we're going up to verse 8. <laughs> Not very far. <laughs> oh, is that... No, wait. Yes, Okay. Verse 7, in this way, being purified by ritualistic sacrifices, the, the heart of Maharaja Bharata was completely uncontaminated. His devotional service unto Vasudeva, Lord Krishna, increased day by day. Lord Krishna, the son of Vasudeva, is the original personality of Godhead, manifest as the super soul as well as the impersonal Brahman. Yogis meditate on the localized Paramatma situated in the heart. Jnanis worship the impersonal Brahman as the supreme absolute truth, and devotees worship Vasudeva, the supreme personality of Godhead, whose transcendental form is described in the Shastras. His body is decorated with the Srivatsa, the Koshtuba jewel, and a flower garland, and his hands uh, and his hands hold a conch shell disc club and lotus flower. Devotees like Narada always think of him within their hearts. Text 8. Destiny fixed the time for Maharaj Bharata's enjoyment of material opulence is 1,000 times 10,000 years. When that period was finished, he retired from family life and divided the wealth he had received from his forefathers among his sons. He left his paternal home, the reservoir of all opulence, and started for uh, Pulaha Ashram, which is situated in Hardwar. The Shalagram Shilas are obtained there. And Prabhupada writes that according to the law of Tayabhak, when one inherits an estate, he must hand it over to the next generation. So this Dayabhak, as many of you know, is part of 
one of the most important verses in the Bhagavatam. <clears throat> Anyone know that verse? That one? And Prabhupada writes in the Nectar of Devotion in the 10th chapter that this verse should be the guide for all devotees. And what it says basically is that one who goes on with their bhakti and and when difficulties come, they don't blame Krishna. They accept it as the mercy of Krishna and with their hearts, minds, and words offer everything to the Supreme Lord. And one who has adopted that, I'm paraphrasing, one who has adopted that mindset Diabak, they automatically uh, go back to God, and just as the oldest son, Diabak, automatically automatically inherits the father's uh, riches. So that so that so Diabak is that automaticness, right? That that when one inherits an estate, he must hand it over to the next generation. So that must handing it over is also one's handed over to the spiritual world if one accepts challenges in life as Krishna's mercy. Now that is not easy to do. It's not easy to do at all. It's easy to talk about, when, especially when we're not going through it, and it's not easy to do. So I, I wanted to examine this a little bit because it's such an important point, and it may come up. It, it's all about how devotees should associate with one another. Uh, the verse number is... I'm remembering 10.14.8. Anyone can check to make sure I'm right on that. I'm almost positive it's 10.14.8. And it's one of the most important. So let's, let's examine this a little bit through the eyes of, oh, and here's the translation. It is 10.14.8. My, my dear Lord, one who earnestly waits for you to bestow your causeless mercy upon him, all the while patiently suffering the reactions of his past misdeeds, and offering you respectful obeisances with his heart, words, and body is surely eligible for liberation, for it has become his diabak, his rightful claim. So let's just uh, look at this a little bit from the perspective of the Advanti Brahmana in the 11th canto, chapter 23 of the Bhagavatam. So he had all, right, he was this rich person, a total miser, total miser. And then he lost everything. His family rejected him. And people would, you know, do just mistreat him terribly. <clears throat> and he, he concludes that he says, the Supreme Personality of God at Lord Hari, who contains within him all the demigods, must be satisfied with me. He says, indeed, he has brought me to this suffering condition and forced me to experience detachment which is the boat to carry me over the ocean of material life. So I went through this terrible suffering, terrible misfortune. And did he blame Krishna? No. He said that this, uh, this is brought, this is the kindness of Krishna, the kindness of the Lord. So only when we really make advancement can we experience this realization deeply. You know, theoretical understanding, I think we all have had this experience. It can, uh, 
pale in the face of personal disaster. So he, you know, the Yadvanti Brahmana was financially ruined, he lost his family, etc., etc. So if we went through that, would we remain, you know, faithfully and affectionately focused on Krishna? You know, that's a question we can ask ourselves. <clears throat> and I don't know how I don't know how I would answer it. It's not it's not an easy thing. And at the same time, if we can develop that, we automatically inherit the kingdom of God. And we may need Krishna's help in order to do that. And uh, in in this this is eleven twenty three twenty eight. The commentary is that gaining intelligence, the Brahmana became joyful, and he expresses his joy in these three verses twenty eight to thirty. Because of the Lord's satisfaction, I have attained this condition, and through his satisfaction with me, I have become indifferent to material life, which is a boat to cross the ocean of birth and death. So I was thinking, I've been thinking about this a bit the last two days, and how we all know it's not easy to somebody, somebody you don't, a devotee you don't know or don't have a trusting relationship. And they go through some challenge and we say, oh, Prabhu, that's Krishna's mercy. We know that they might make them more upset with us, right? That there's that possibility that it just seems kind of callous and, um, not looking after their, their, not caring about them. Then the next step, we might just want to really, you know, become a friend of theirs, take care of them and say they, they lost their job due to COVID-19. And we may help them financially or, or console them and be there and listen to them. And that's really, really important to do that. I would suggest that there's also a next step. And this is the hardest part, perhaps. It's, and that is while we're developed, we have to do what I just said to have that trusting relationship. The person, the person really feels we're a friend, we're, we care for them, you know, just on that level. And at the same time, we're in this material world, we're in this human form for a short period of time. We really need to make spiritual advancement. So hopefully we can also help that devotee understand or, or help them or talk to them about how to see Krishna's mercy in the toughest of times. Now that's, that, that, that operation has to be done sensitive, sensitive, sensitively, but I don't think we're fully serving another devotee, especially we're talking about devotees now if we don't try to help them come to that level of becoming more and more attached to Krishna. Yes, we help them in the, in the realm and listen to them and be their friend. It's also our duty to one another to help us make real spiritual advancement. And the reality is as, as easy as it is to say when we're okay and someone else isn't, the reality is that this difficult situation is a golden opportunity to come closer to Krishna. How to say that, and that takes, you know, realization and relationship and finesse, but uh, we can't settle for anything less than wanting to help each other go back to Godhead and develop deep Krishna consciousness. So I, I hope that makes sense in what I'm saying. Because in the old days, you know, when I joined in the 70s, we would end up often doing kind of the, the first thing, Right? Just go around. I mean, as a Brahmach, I was a Brahmach. I had, I was in my early twenties and I would, you know, give these heavy lectures to Grihastas, you know, without any realization whatsoever. You're so attached to your children. What nonsense, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And then, you know, over the years, we've become more polite, more mm, human. <laughs> and, I, and that's great. I think there's something also in addition to that. And that is be, be that kindness, be that uh, reaching out and help us all come close to the lotus feet of Krishna. So some thoughts on that. Um, this COVID-19 situation, especially for international students, oh, yeah. uh, what they're going through, um, I mean, it's unbearable, really. And, you know, there is no certainty at all. And, uh, and especially people who are graduating in a few days, Mm-hmm. And their status and everything is in jeopardy. So, uh, I mean, to talk to them, it, it, it was not easy, Prabhu. Like, it took some time to be with them. Yes. Then I was, then they were able to, uh, you know, receive, uh, you know, what if Krishna has a better plan? You know, so now they're like two of them are okay. Like, yeah, let me see what our Krishna's. Plan. I'll submit to that, uh, but it took a lot of uh, time and uh, sympathizing in other situation, which is really uh, true. What they're saying is not, it's not the karma or anything, but it, it's for everyone. Like, so someone uh, was telling me, like, I, I, I mean, I loved my uh, degree. Like, this is the field I chose. I wanted to work. So, then uh, I'm, the overwhelming factor for her was like, I'm not able to work in the field I study. Yeah. Um, but then uh, last week she was saying, maybe Krishna wants me to be detached. So that was a big... Uh, yes, and, and what, you're saying, uh, what you're saying is really important. You don't... Um, <laughs> let's see if we can do this like figurative. You don't push people to Krishna like, you know, but you have to kind of like walk with them, and right. and based on their level of, of advancement, also for some people they may not be ready to hear that yet. Or in your what your experience was, it took a few weeks for them to, you know, to get that. Yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So that sounds. Um, I mean, thank you so much for doing that. That sounds like you, you know, Krishna gave you uh, the intelligence to apply this. We together applied for many jobs and uh, all that, uh, tried to help her. Then uh, she started taking it because she she had to be taken to ER because of the anxiety, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. So now she's doing okay. <laughs> wow. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Robin Anand, so, you raised your hand? Yes, Prabhu. Um, two thoughts came to me when you were uh, raising some of those points. Uh, one thing is, uh, you were talking about how I would react given a situation, kind of. So, um, to me, it, it it it's it by my by my own efforts, I will not be able to come through it alive. So mm-hmm. I I need the support and help of other devotees. So basically, it is an opportunity for me to learn and learn to depend on Krishna and Krishna's devotees. So that's one learning for me. And the other thing is, um, there are two things when we are talking about helping people who are in a in a distressed situation. So you were talking of uh, mentioning a very important point of not just doing the preaching and ignoring the 
the actual need that should be addressed in the immediate uh, sense. So uh, the, the, the more important thing is to take care of the immediate emergency or whatever the situation is demanding. It could be, as Mahamantra Prabhu was explaining, taking care of some health issues or it could be a financial issue or something like that. And then also not stop it there because most of the uh, modern charity works, it talks about giving money, food or education and then leaves it there. It doesn't talk about the spiritual needs also. So both the material needs and the spiritual needs have to be addressed, but the priority goes to the situation and what needs to be done to support that other person. Thank you. Yes. And, and so much of it does depend on people's advancement, right? As if we're, if we made some progress in Krishna consciousness, then we'll be, uh, like chapter eight, verse seven of the Gita, Tasmat Sarveshu Kaleshu Mamanusmuryu Jicha. We'll be able to remember Krishna and then take care of the material needs instead of the other way around. But different shlokes for different folks, right? Uh, Ananda Rupa or, uh, Prabhuji? Jiva Yes. Yes. So uh, again, in Bhagavad Gita, there is such a, like when we give the classes, we normally ask, or, always talking about Chatur Varnamaya Shishtam Guna Karma Vibhagashas. So Lord Krishna is saying, and then you come to chapter 6 where he is saying, a yogi who is a yoga in an initial stage still gets to take birth in a family of aristocrats and an advanced devotee takes birth in the family of a transcendentalist. So that's where the jan aspect is there and people really pick it up because they, they really like, you know, go at length to argue about it. So it's very interesting to kind of like see. So like you said, we have to balance it. We, it is important for us to convey that we have to make it visible that they have an opportunity to advance further. So Lord is giving them opportunities, not something that they are, you know, assuming just based on the birth. So it, it becomes very interesting even Bhagavad Gita when you pick up different points. Thank you. Thank you. Shall we carry on? Or this is an important point if anyone would like to comment more. Uh, Nandamuki, something on the lighter side. Bharat Maharaj ruled for 10 million years. This is much more than a yuga cycle of, uh, yes, at least the Kali Yuga, right? So, yes, he, uh, he, he, uh, ruled for a long time. <laughs> some people, some people in this country are saying, my God, the last four years sounds like an eternity, seems like an eternity, right? Or some people thought the last, the, the other people thought the last eight years, right? So this was, 10 million. Imagine if you didn't like your king for 10 million years. <laughs> That'd be a problem. <laughs> okay, let's continue. And we're reading up to verse 11. Is that correct? Um, text number nine. At Pulaha Ashrama, the Supreme Personality of God at Hari, out of his transcendental affection for his devotee, becomes visible to his devotee, satisfying his devotee's desires. Sorry about that. <clears throat> in Pulaha Ashrama, in, uh, in Pulaha is the Gandaki River, which is the best of all rivers. The Shalagram Shila, the marble pebbles, purifying all those places. On each and every marble pebble, up and down, circles like navels are visible. And I'm sure some of you have seen Shalagram Shilas with the different 
markings. Text 11. In the gardens of Hulaha Ashama, Bharat Maharaj lived alone and collected a variety of flowers, twigs, and tulasi leaves. He also collected the water of the Gundaki River, as well as various roots, fruits, and bulbs. With these, he offered food to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vasudev, and worshipping him, he remained satisfied. In this way, his heart was completely uncontaminated, and he did not have the least desire for material enjoyment. All material desires vanished. In this steady position, he felt full satisfaction and was situated in devotional service. And I just thought that the last sentence of this purport was kind of encouraging for us as we are locked down. <laughs> One may not be able to go to Pulaha Ashram. <laughs> or even to work. But wherever one is, one can happily render devotional service to the Lord by adopting the processes mentioned above. So we might not be able to fly to the Holy Doms right now. I kind of felt a little transcendental envious, uh, enviously, like I think Naranjan Swami is stuck in Mayapur. <laughs> and I know some devotees who are stuck in Vrindavan. <laughs> and yeah, we should be so lucky. But whether we're stuck in Virginia or D.C. or Maryland or wherever, one may not be able to go to nice places like Kulaha Ashram, but wherever one, uh, but wherever one is, one can happily render devotional service to the Lord. So I thought that was apropos for our present situation. So now we are going on through to the next chapter. That most exalted devotee, Maharaj Bharat, in this way, engaged constantly in the devotional service of the Lord. Naturally, his love for Vasudev Krishna increased more and more and melted his heart. Consequently, he gradually lost all attachment for regulative duties, uh, meaning that he had attained bhava and was no longer had to follow all vaidis. The hair of his body stood on end and all the ecstatic bodily symptoms were manifest. Tears flowed from his eyes, so much so that he could not see anything. Thus, he constantly meditated on the reddish lotus feet of the Lord. At that time, his heart was like a lake, uh, which was like a lake, was filled with the water of ecstatic love. When his mind was immersed in that lake, he even forgot the regulated service of the Lord. <clears throat> Maharaj Bharta appeared very beautiful. He had a wealth of curly hair in his head, which, oh, we read this, right? So we'll go on to the next chapter. These were the last verses that we read. Okay. So now for something quite different. The next chapter. And of course, so many instructions for us in this chapter. By the way, it was, it was a nice mention by one of the comment by Vishnu of Chakravarti Thakur that when, when Bharata was a king, <clears throat> he, Worship the Lord with this huge opulence and these big sacrifices. And then when he was in the forest, he worshiped him very simply with forest flowers. Okay, so we're beginning chapter eight. A very interesting story about to take place. You ready? <laughs> Sri Sugadeva Goswami continued, My dear king, one day after finishing his morning duties, evacuating, urinating, and bathing, Maharaj Bharata, sat down on the bank of the river Kandaki for a few minutes and began chanting his mantra, beginning with Omkar. 
O king, when Bharata Maharaja was sitting on the bank of that river, a doe, being very thirsty, came there to drink. Well, the doe was drinking with great satisfaction. A lion, which was very close, roared very loudly. This was frightful to every living entity, and it was heard by the doe. By nature, the doe was always afraid of being killed by others. There's that verse in the Bhagavatam, Jivo, Jivasya, Jivanam. One living entity is food for another. And it was always looking about suspiciously. When it heard the lion's tumultuous roar, it became very agitated. Looking here and there with disturbed eyes, the doe, although it had not fully satisfied itself by drinking water, suddenly leaped across the river. The doe was pregnant, and when it jumped out of fear, the baby deer fell from its womb into the flowing waters of the river. Being, up, uh, being separated from its flock and distressed by its miscarriage, the black doe, having crossed the river, was very much distressed. Indeed, it fell down in a cave and died immediately. The great, the great Bharat Maharaj, king, I'm sorry, the great King Bharata, while sitting on the bank of the river, saw the small deer bereft of its mother floating down the river. Seeing this, he felt great compassion. Like a sincere friend, he lifted the infant deer from the waves and knowing it to be motherless, brought it to his ashram. Okay, so text number eight. Gradually, Bart Maharaj became very affectionate toward the deer. It began, he began to raise it and maintain it by giving it grass. He was always careful to protect it from the attacks of tigers and other animals. When it itched, he petted it. And in this way, he always tried to keep it in a comfortable condition. He sometimes kissed it out of love. Being attached to raising the deer, Maharaj Bharata forgot the rules and regulations for the advancement of spiritual life. And he gradually forgot to worship the Supreme Personality of God. After a few days, he forgot everything about his spiritual advancement. Prabhupada writes from the beginning of the purport, from this we can understand how we have to be very cautious in executing our devotional duties by observing the rules and regulations and regularly chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. If we neglect doing this, we will eventually fall down. We must rise early in the morning, bathe, attend Mangala Arti, worship the deities, chant the Hare Krishna Mantra, study the Vedic literatures, and follow all the rules prescribed by the Acharyas and the spiritual master. So, and of course, you know, fall downs can be different for different ones of us. We often think fall downs means breaking one of the four regulated principles, but ultimately in the most uh, existential, it's becoming attached or attracted to anything other than Krishna's service. <clears throat> Although there's different gradations, obviously, of, piety and impiety, and Srila Prabhupada at the time of initiation asked us to follow these four basic rules. So at least that as a minimum. But in other words, we should be, I'm bringing this up because if we are fortunate enough to not be struggling at all with the four regulated principles, we shouldn't be too proud of that because we can have other fall down, you know, in air quotes, fall downs by being attracted to other things and Krishna. And as Prabhupada would sometimes say, that the four regulator principles just bring us to the platform of humans. 
So any thoughts on that before we go on to the next verse where we're going to uh, talk a little bit more in detail? Some comments? Uh, one second, Guru said, I once heard a devotee argue from the Vyasasana that Bharata Maharaj ha- uh, must have connected serving that baby doe to the service of Krishna. Well, there, there are places where Prabhupada is indicating that Bharat Maharaj, that this was part of pa- a pastime and that he was never forgetting Krishna. At the same time, pastime or not pastime, it's there to instruct us uh, to a large extent. So that's, sh- so we should learn that we can be, we can easily written in here in just a few days lose our uh, fixedness in bhakti. And we, we read that um, last week or the week before, some of those strong statements about the mind and how the mind can one minute be absorbed in bhakti and the next minute just totally in another direction. So I'm not sure. I, don't, I haven't read anywhere. I've read this whole pastime. I read some of the Acharya's comments. I haven't read anywhere specifically where he was connecting, serving the baby doe to service to Krishna. Uh, someone else wanted to say something. Hi, um, Krishna Prabhu. Uh, please accept my humble Oh, hi, Bhav Chakti So I have one question is something on the previous chapter, on um, I think verse 12, um, uh, when Sukadeva Goswami explaining about uh, Bharat Maharaj, uh, he was uh, expressing particularly on two, verse 12, um, the ecstatic symptoms. Yes. Um, I see that he became an avaduta. The, when I when I read that, uh, when when the symptoms, like the way that like he's completely missed with the devotional service, he became an avaduta, means like he already become an uttama bhakta. And then, uh, uh, like here, like on chapter 8, like, you know, he's just becoming so much attached. All the attachment from the Lord became to attachment to the deer. Um, and, and when he becomes an Abhaduta, nothing is, uh, nothing is, no rules and regulations applies to them. Is my understanding correct? Then like something's going wrong here. Please help me to understand Prabhuji. Um, well, first of all, when we talk about rules and regulations, often, at least I can tell you from the nectar of devotion point of view, where it says that someone who's on Raganuga Bhakti doesn't follow the rules and regulations. What that means is we're talking about the impetus to serve Krishna. So sadhana bhakti is divided into two, vaidhi and raganuga. And vaidhi means following the rules and regulations under the instructions of the spiritual master and the Vedas and the Shastra. So in other words, that's the impetus, following the instructions of Krishna. In raganuga, one is... uh, Anuga, following the footsteps of great devotees who have rag, like the residents of, not like the residents of Vrindavan specifically. And so they didn't have to think, oh, what's my Guru Maharaj's? Oh, my Guru Maharaj told me that I have to worship Krishna. No, they were spontaneously, uh, thrilled and attracted to serve Krishna. So the impetus was that attraction and not the rules and regulations. They still follow the rules and regulations. As a matter of fact, in that verse that we quoted, verse 8 of the Nectar of Instruction, it has that in there, it has the verse, Seva Sadaka Rupena Siddha Rupena Chaturhi, that one, <coughs> even on the level of Rag, a very advanced level, they still 
act like a neophyte. And what Prabhupada means by that is they still go to Mangalarti, they still chant their you know, they still do the things that a Vaidhi, a person who's following the rules because uh, as their impetus is doing. But internally, the fire of ecstatic love is, is there. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers your question, but that, that's the part about rules and you know, regulations. Now, one thing, one thing we can learn from this, I would think I was going to mention it a little later, but one of the instructions that we learned from Bharat Maharaj is remember, when he was a king, he was in constant association or regular association with brahmanas who were guiding him in, as a king and in his spiritual life. And now he was by himself and he didn't have the association of devotees. And so one lesson that we learned from Bharat Maharaj is, something, is the importance of the association of devotees to keep us on the right path. Because if you can imagine, if he had another devotee with him, the devotee might say, okay, yeah, you can, nothing wrong with taking care of the deer. That's fine. That's compassionate. But hey, you know, I've noticed you've been uh, slack in your, in your puja and in your remembering Krishna. So, you know, let's get it together here. I can also help you a little bit with that, uh, with that deer and you make sure you're getting your puja done, right? You know, we, we help one another. That's kind of connected to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Shakshi, does that help at all? Yes, Prabhuji. Thank you very much, Prabhuji. Okay. Thank you. And Andy, um, the, Andy writes that the Shastra is less polemic than the commentaries in this story. In my opinion, it starts to read like an objective historical account and leaving the interpretation to the reader. That may be what Prabhupada, just so you, I'm not sure if we're all aware of this. Um, I believe he, I could find out the exact number, but he had a book that had a huge book that had a number of the commentaries of the great Acharyas. And he would read the Sanskrit, translate the Sanskrit, and study the Acharyas and add his realizations and sometimes, you know, iskanizing it sometimes. And so... Yes, sometimes the acharyas will. Um, I don't know if it's adding polemics or not, but it's uh, giving sometimes a purport or or polemics adding, wasn't the right word. Yeah. What's that? Polemics wasn't the right word. Yeah. That's kind of an attack. But sometimes yeah. they get preachy and and and. Uh, yeah, they, they never seems like that to me, but in this case. I'll just cut right. Can I cut right to the chase? Sure. He's saying, basically, what he's saying in in a, a few parts ahead, towards the end of the story, you know, when he, uh, Bharat is already uh, passed on to his next life, he's saying, okay, he fell, and but it was actually not a bad fall. But don't try this at home, right? Yeah, um, exactly. He, he's a good person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a perfect, uh, that's a perfect uh, thing. Yeah. And you can imagine how, how um, much realization and prayer went into Prabhupada writing these purports because he's, he's being um, loyal to the, to the text, being loyal to the previous acharyas, and knowing that a lot of devotees on, of all kinds of spect all over the spectrum of advancement, are going to read these words and how to make it impactful. Yeah, thank you. I like that. Uh, don't try this at home. Yeah. 
In that case, we got seven minutes. Let's go on to the, the we'll end in verse, I'm sure we'll probably end in verse 10. So verse nine, the great Maharaj Bharat began to think, alas, this helpless young deer by the force of time, an agent of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So he, he thought that he was an agent of the Lord. So that's uh, an interesting way of talking about what Gurudas heard in class. Has now lost its relatives and friends and has taken shelter of me. It does not know anyone but me, as I have become its father, mother, brother, and relatives. This deer is thinking in this way, and it has full faith in me. It does not know anyone but me. Therefore, I shall not be envious and think that for the deer, uh, that for the deer, my own welfare will be destroyed. I should certainly raise, protect, gratify, and fondle it. When it has taken shelter with me, how can I neglect it? Even though the deer is disturbing my spiritual life, so here he has that realization, I realize that a helpless person who has taken shelter cannot be neglected. That would be a great fault. So part of it, you can see, is part of it is his chachariya training for 10 million years, right? That, that he's there to protect the citizens and, and see to their welfare. But it just went, you know, too far. Even though, verse 10, one is in the renounced order of life, one who is advanced certainly feels compassion for suffering living entities. One should certainly neglect his own personal interests, although they may be very important to protect one who has surrendered. Prabhupada writes in the very beginning, Maya is very strong. In the name of philanthropy, altruism, and communism, people are feeling compassion for suffering humanity throughout the world. Philanthropists and altruists do not realize that it is impossible to improve people's material conditions. Material conditions are already established by the superior administration according to one's karma. They cannot be changed. The only benefit we can render to suffering beings is to try to raise them to spiritual consciousness. And then a little later, we should be very careful not to be misled by so-called welfare activities conducted in bodily terms. One should not give up his, his interests in, excuse me, in attaining the favor of Lord Vishnu at any cost. Generally, people do not know this or they forget it. Consequently, they sacrifice their original interests, the attainment of Vishnu's favor, and engage in philanthropic activities for bodily So what was Bharat Maharaj's fault? Okay, so he, he, he rescued this helpless creature out of compassion, right? And that's a, a feeling that an, any good, kind-hearted soul would have. Compassion for others is, is a good quality, and it's born really primarily out of the material mode of goodness. In the Krishna book, it says that this compassion is a symptom of the quality of goodness. Therefore, Lord Shiva's manifestation of the nature of compassion is a sign of the quality of goodness. This compassion, however, is present in every living entity. And then it goes on. The compassion of Lord Shiva was aroused not because the demon was offering his flesh into the sacrificial fire, but because he was about to commit suicide. This is natural compassion. Even a common man sees someone preparing to commit suicide, he will try to save him. He, he does so automatically. There is no need to, to appeal to him. Okay, so that's mode of goodness, compassion. But then we know, right, Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter, that we are Krishna's eternal fragmental parts, 
And that means that Krishna and not any other living entity should be the primary object of our service since everyone else is part and parcel of him and we're constitutionally his servant, right? <clears throat> then I was thinking in the chapter 4 of the Gita, it says that having attained real knowledge from a self-realized soul, you will never fall again into such illusion. For by this knowledge, you will see that all living beings are but part of the Supreme, or in other words, they are mine. And we know that, you know, we are Jivara Swupaya Krishna Niti Das, we're Krishna's eternal servant. So if we think of ourselves first and foremost as Krishna's servant, that's beyond the mode of goodness and beyond compassion in the material realm. So Bart Maharaj's fault was not that he was compassionate, but that even after he realized that the deer was disturbing his spiritual life, he chose to serve the deer instead of serving Krishna exclusively. Now, like I said, you know, on one hand, you know, this comes from his training as a leader, as a king, and that Kshatriyas uh, do that. But still, his eternal identity is that of Krishna's servant, not as a Kshatriya. Right? So therefore, ultimately, our duty is to renounce anything that's unfavorable to Krishna's service. And Krishna makes that very clear at the end of the Gita, Abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. Now, how to apply this in our practical day-to-day life? Uh, and it is something to be constant, to be thought about. But this is a deep contemplation that we are Krishna's eternal servant. And that, that should be the, the reference point to all of our other activities. That doesn't mean we don't help an old lady across the street or, you know, whatever, do, do things that are just um, part of our swadharma in this world, but we keep that, that center. And in this pastime, Bharat Maharaj has, has temporarily lost that center, and that's what Prabhupada is warning us against. So I didn't realize I was going to give that five-minute lecture there. Uh, we have... Time for one or two qu- comments, questions? Yes, yes Prabhu. Yes, Mama. Um, so, Jeevadaya is one of the prime qualities of Vaishnava. So, I don't see any problem with uh, Bharat Maharaj uh, uh, putting all his compassion on the deer. Uh, so, but what made him, uh, I mean, literally stay away from Krishna consciousness is, uh, is it that that's the, Actually, the I mean, really, the Maya is working there, or uh, it's just a Leela <laughs> well, for us to teach we're, us. We're going to cover that more in, next week. Okay, I'll give you a quick okay. check. Okay. But, but we can say for sure that it's meant to be a lesson for us. Yeah, he was on the stage of Bhava, right? Preliminary stage, and still, uh, if we learn in the Madhurya Kadamani that even in the stage of Baba, there's still, you know, little teeny, teeny things that we need to work on. So then the question would be what to speak of us. So we could get discouraged by reading this pastime, or we could say, oh, my gosh, I really need to take more shelter. So we'll we'll talk about that next week, okay, because we'll spend some time on it because it's important. Thank you.
Okay, wow. What a, but you got to admit, this is exciting stuff. And I will, by the way, I was thinking just briefly, I was thinking that, you know, we're getting, we're getting close to the end of the sixth canto, which will be the end of Bhakti Vaibhava. And just to remind everyone that you will get the, you know, the Bhakti Vaibhava degree from this kind of DC, uh, if you've attended, uh, up to, what was it, like 50% of the classes. So something to look forward to because we, probably the structure of the universe, we're going to talk, um, about some basic concepts, but we probably won't get to every detail of every verse in that um, part of the fifth canto. Okay, that's there. Thank you very much for that. And Rabbi also liked, don't try this at home, was a good way of putting it. <laughs> so it's always so nice to be with you all again this week. Have a safe and happy Krishna Conscious Week, and we... We'll see y'all next week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.